up, everyone? Thank you for tuning into Tethered, a podcast dedicated to helping followers of Jesus stay connected to Him day by day. My prayer for this episode is that it would encourage you, challenge you, and propel you to abide more deeply in Jesus. I hope you're encouraged by this episode. Let's jump right on in. What's up, everyone? Once again, this is your host, Joey Morales. I really appreciate you listening to episodes here on Tethered. If you've been impacted in any way by these episodes, please subscribe to the podcast to keep up to date on when episodes drop, and please share with your friends and family on social media however you share things. I would really appreciate it. For this episode, I want to speak about the person of Jesus Christ himself. There are episodes on this podcast about how to stay tethered to Jesus in a variety of areas of life, like being under expository preaching, attending a local church, servant leadership, dating, worship, etc. Even the subject of abiding was discussed. But I haven't spoken about the person of Jesus himself, the very person who this podcast is all about. Why is it important to stay tethered to the very person of Jesus Christ? This is what compelled me to do this teaching. There is so much that a person can share about the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the person that has the most books written about. The Bible is all about Him. Speaking about Jesus Himself is the subject of so many podcasts, films, classes, etc. But in this episode, I want to share who Jesus is. I want to share with you all who Jesus is through who He says He is from His very own words. Without further ado... Here's the teaching, and we're actually going to get right into it. Normally, I would record a topic introduction separately, but no need for this episode since I would have repeated everything I just said about this episode, so we're just going to get in. But in all seriousness, uh, I'm glad to have you all listening to this podcast. I hope that you are learning much about abiding in Christ as a result of this podcast. And so to begin, I want to start this episode with an illustration. We all have a person that we aspire to be like. We have a celebrity that we look up to. We have that theologian from ages ago that's like a sage to us. We have that Instagram influencer that we desire to imitate in order to garnish the attention of others to prove our worth in this world. We want to be like the people who influence us. You may know facts about them, so I got an example here. I admire a theologian pastor named John Piper. I know what city he lives in, Minneapolis. What books he's written, Peculiar Glory, Don't Waste Your Life. What church he pastored over, Bethlehem Baptist. (laughs) In his theological positions, he's a Christian hedonist. Um, I would encourage you to look that up. You may know the facts about the person that you desire to emulate. Here's the question. Do you know them? Just because I know facts about John Piper doesn't mean I know him. I know all about him, but I don't know him. I don't personally know him at all. I've seen him before at a conference. (laughs) He's a really short dude. But you know about the person you see as an influence, but you may not actually know them. So why do I start here? Jesus is a well-known person. 
He is the most famous person in world history. He is fully God, fully man. He came down from heaven. He came to his own. And he became like his own in order to live among his own a perfect life that we could never live. He died a horrific death that we deserve. He rose again from the grave to defeat Satan, sin, and death. And ascended back into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. To rule and reign with him to one day come again to claim his own. Jesus is the person who was willing to die on the cross for the sins of the world because of his love. We all know that, right? John 3.16 is the most famous verse in the Bible. We know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We know this. This is true. But Jesus is so much more than the Savior of the world. We all know about Jesus, but do we know him? Did you know that he personally asked you who you say he is? He asked this because he wants to personally know you and for you to personally know him. As I shared earlier, it would be difficult to share all that we know about Jesus in books, podcasts, etc., But it is helpful to know a basic understanding of who he is. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark to see what others say about Jesus or what others say about who Jesus is or you could say what people know about Jesus. And then we're going to look at the I Am statements intently from the Gospel of John and discuss them. And then we're going to conclude by looking at other I Am statements quickly from other books of the New Testament And how this helps you stay tethered to Jesus. And so I'm going to be sharing a lot of scripture. um, But I'm going to include the main passages that were studied in the show notes. But I hope that through this episode, you can gain a better understanding of who Jesus is. So you can grow in your personal relationship with him. So let me pray for us and then we'll begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for... Allowing me just to be able to speak your word. I don't deserve to do this, God. Um, God, we love you. We adore you for who you are, holy, righteous, and good. And I pray that, Lord, that you would be magnified. That, God, that your glory would be made renowned. And I pray that, God, that you would you know, do a work in the lives of the listener who may be listening to this, God. Um, help them see who you truly are, not just facts about who you are, but Lord, help them, help them see who you claim to be, God, your identity, and God, may they translate that into worshiping you, into glorifying you forever. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to get into this. Okay, so Jesus in Mark 8.27 asked an important question. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? It's important to understand the context surrounding this question Jesus is asking his disciples. And so I'm going to give you a brief historical context of what's happening here. So the first thing we need to note is that Jesus went with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. This place was known as the center of worship of Baal. 
For those who may not know or may not be familiar with the Old Testament, Baal was a pagan god. He was a pagan god worshipped by the Philistines and other peoples outside the people of Israel. The Israelites allowed Baal worship to integrate into their culture throughout their history. Caesarea Philippi was later the center of worship um, for the Greek god um, called Pan, a god of fertility. Then it became the center of worship for Caesar, the Roman emperor. According to the ESB Study Bible Commentary, quote, At this time, Caesarea Philippi was an important Greco-Roman city with a primarily pagan Syrian and Greek population, end quote. And so the NIB First Century Study Bible says the following about Caesarea Philippi. So we're going to look at the historical context of this even more. Quote, The city of Herod Philip's capital and the name betrays his desire to please Rome. Though about 25 miles from the Sea of Galilee, the Hellenistic, meaning Greek, influence in the pagan shrines might have seemed like a different world to the disciples. The mixing of Jewish and pagan worlds was the main reason why the Herodian family was so hated among religious Jews. The timing of Jesus' question to his disciples must have been intentional. Was the kingdom of God really going to include such people living in such places? Was Jesus saying that the church was going to reside in such places? It was one thing to proclaim among religious Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But it was quite another, another thing to make messianic claims in the shadow of Roman imperial power. End quote. I know, like, <laughs> I know that for some of you, historical details may bore you. But it's important to understand the context of what Jesus is asking the disciples this question. It's from this place that Jesus, the God of the universe in the flesh, asks his disciples who others say he is and will ask him to personally, as we will see here shortly. Matthew 16 records a similar account. He asks his disciples who the Son of Man is. Right here we learn that Jesus is aiming towards something specific. Now back to Mark. Here is how the disciples respond to Jesus' question in Mark 8.28. And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. It's important to note why the disciples responded with this list of popular beliefs of, about Jesus, or you could say facts about him. If we go back to Mark 6, we read in verses 14 and 15 that Jesus' name had become known. And so Mark provides three popular facts about who Jesus was, according to this passage in Mark chapter 6. And so, the first fact that we see here is some people say that Jesus is John the Baptist. There are also in King Herod, heard, heard of his name. So King Herod obviously has heard about Jesus. It says, Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work within him, or, or, or in him. Verse 15, but others said he is like Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. So that's the specific passage. And so from there, Mark shares that Herod had John the Baptist beheaded after being told by Herodias, that was his wife, I believe, to have John's head, John's head on a platter. Herod thought that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. If you know your Bible, John the Baptist was the prophet that prepared the way of the Lord, as documented in most gospel accounts. So 
Herod essentially thought that uh, Jesus was John the Baptist alive again, which not true. Next one we're going to look at is Elijah. So Jews back then expected that Elijah would return as prophesied in Malachi 4.5, which I'm going to read here. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So according to the MacArthur Bible Commentary, quote, This identification of Jesus, which probably had been discussed repeatedly among the Jews, was based on the Jewish expectation that the prophet Elijah would return prior to the Messiah's coming. John the Baptist was a type of Elijah at Christ's first advent, meaning coming. Malachi 4.5 essentially is um, most likely a prophecy about an Elijah-like person, as John the Baptist was Elijah-like. On that day, his task will be preached, will be to preach reconciliation to God so souls can believe and be spared of God's curse. End quote. John the Baptist certainly prepared the way of the Lord. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah. But here's the key. John the Baptist was not Elijah himself. Jesus performed miracles like Elijah did. But Jesus was not Elijah. And Elijah was not Jesus. Yet the Jews in that day thought Jesus was Elijah reincarnate. So obviously the Elijah fact is not true. And so one of the prophets, that's another thing here. The Jews could be thinking about a prophet that is described in Deuteronomy 18.15 and 18.18, which says, The Lord will raise you up a prophet like uh, like me from among you. This is Moses talking. From your brothers, it is to him you shall listen and I will raise for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So the Jews were expecting a Moses-like prophet to come sometime in the future. From this context, the people speaking with King Herod had no idea that this future prophet um, that Moses shared about was Jesus himself. They thought it could have been prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, or and others that showed up in the history of Israel. It means that these people had a low view of who Jesus truly was. And so these are the facts, I say, quote, facts, that the disciples responded with about what others were saying about who Jesus was. Just to remind you, these are personal beliefs that the Jews had. And so just to pivot a little bit, um, on my personal Instagram, I asked my followers three questions about the person of Jesus, asking them to learn more about what they know and love about Jesus. And so these are the three three questions I asked them. I asked them, what characteristics do you love about Jesus? Why is the person of Jesus important? And then who do you say Jesus is? And so here are some of the responses that I got. And so what people uh, responded with in the characteristics they love about Jesus, they said, his love for all people, especially us sinners, his unexplainable peace, love, justice. Our world is hungry, so hungry for it, and he provides it perfectly. Jesus loves me and always be on my side. Forgiving, steadfast, long-suffering, personal high priest and king, patient, merciful, how personal he is, kind. 
for why is the person of Jesus important, I was respond. This is what the responses were. He is our intercession and sacrifice. He is always close and wants to be perfect. He wants to perfect our faith. He's everything. He is the creator and sustainer of all things by whom alone can be saved. Because he is our God. He died for us and saved us, making him the most important. So we can have a life again when we die one day, eventually, and also have peace and joy in this life. And then lastly, I ask this question that essentially Jesus asks his disciples here. We'll discuss it here shortly. Who do you say Jesus is? I asked my Instagram followers this, and this is what they had to say. Abba, the great I am. Yes, that was written. I love it. Worthy of our praise and adoration. He is love, our redeemer. Jesus is God, and Jesus is someone who saves lives. The Savior who had mercy on me and gave me eternal life. He is Savior. He is the Son of God. The way, the truth, the life as well as my king, my savior, and my friend. Man, <laughs> I love these answers. Thank you guys uh, for sending in those answers. I really appreciate it. It showcases the attributes of Jesus that people who follow him love. It showcases who, choose, who Jesus is truly. And so we ask ourselves, who is Jesus truly then? Um, the question that Jesus asks his disciples Next in our passage in Mark is the most important question, in my opinion, that Jesus asked. Guys, Jesus is about to rock the world, man. Like, let's just read the let's just read the passage. And so here is Mark eight twenty nine, and he asked them, "But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am?" Peter answered him, "You are the Christ." Matthew 16, 16 has a similar response. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What Peter just said here is a profound statement. Peter said that Jesus is the Christ. Christ is the Greek way of saying Messiah. Both Christ and Messiah mean anointed one. This is a title. This is who the Jews were expecting as prophesied in Deuteronomy 18.15 and 18.18 as we read earlier. The disciples had a close-up encounter with Jesus. They got to witness the miracles he had performed. They got to hear many of his teachings and even had a parable explained to them. Three of them will get to see uh, Jesus in full glory later on in the transfiguration on the mountain. What Peter proclaimed came from God. We see that from Matthew's perspective. Matthew sixteen seventeen says, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Peter seemed to have understood who Jesus was. Why is it important to understand who Jesus is? Why is it important to understand who he is as the Messiah? We will never fully understand who Jesus is because he because who he truly is, our limited minds cannot fully comprehend. We can never comprehend who Jesus really is in all his essence. But 
The scripture does provide a, provides us with claims that Jesus himself made about who he is to prove his messianic identity. You might have heard of the I am statements. They are in the book of John. We learn here who Jesus says he is. And so, we're going to take time to dig through those I am statements. Um, so, buckle up. It's about to be an awesome, awesome ride. And so, before we dig into the I am statements um, from the book of John, we must understand the significance of the word I am. And so, Jesus himself says to a crowd of Jews in John 8.58, Before Abraham was, I am. He responds this way because Jesus said that Abraham rejoiced that he would see the day of Christ and was glad. The Jews respond that Jesus is not 50 years old and has seen Abraham. I mean, Abraham would have been long dead by then, about 2,000 years before this statement was said. So what does Jesus mean when he said, before Abraham was, I am? What Jesus is making is a profound claim. He is claiming that he is Yahweh the personal name of God as found in the Old Testament. Our modern English Bibles translate Yahweh as LORD in all caps. You've probably seen that in the Old Testament. According to the ESB Study Bible Commentary, quote, he uses the pretense, the present tense, I should say, I am in speaking of, his, of existence more than 2,000 years earlier, thus claiming a kind of transcendence over time that could only be true of God. The words I am in Greek use the same expression, which is ego imi, found in the Septuagint, that is the Old Testament in Greek, in the first half of God's self-identification in Exodus 3.14, which is I am who I am. Jesus is thus claiming not only to be eternal, but also to be the God who appeared to Moses at the burning bush. End quote. What Jesus is claiming is that he is God Almighty. The reason why we know that is because the Jews in response picked up stones to throw at him because they thought he was committing blasphemy. Guys, this is a huge claim. Like, think about that. Jesus is making the claim that he is God. This is profound. I am, or the I am is a very powerful set of words. And so now that we understand the importance of the words I am, let's look at the I am statements. From the book of John. So I'm going to share what each I am statement means in its context. Guys, time for a theological ride that will hopefully help you cherish and treasure Jesus more. And so there are seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. There are metaphorical statements that he state that state his role as both the Messiah and the Savior of the world. They are, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And so let's dig in. So the first statement, I am the bread of life. And it comes from John 6.35, which says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So to give some context, Jesus had fed 5,000 men plus women and children miraculously. And so after he did that, he went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. The crowd of Jews followed Jesus to seek him. 
Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to your eternal life, which is which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. This comes from John 20, uh, 6, 26 to 27. It's important to note, anytime Jesus says truly, truly, he is saying that he knows that the truths he is about to share are true firsthand. Think of it as a strong claim to truth. Jesus calls on the crowd to believe in him who God has sent. The crowd demands a sign that they may see and believe him. They reference their ancestors to ate the manna, or bread, in the wilderness during Israel's 40-year wandering in the desert. This occurred after the exodus from Egypt. They assume Moses gave them bread in the wilderness, when in reality it was the Father, or Yahweh. Jesus responds with this, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. John 6.33 the, the crowd responds by wanting this bread that gives life, but they misunderstand that Jesus is talking about himself, who is the bread that gives life. Bread is food. Physical bread meets physical needs. Bread fulfills physical hunger. The true bread from heaven met spiritual needs, which Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. This bread of life fulfills spiritual hunger. And so according to the Faith Life Study Bible, the true bread from heaven is Jesus emphasizing his role as the one sent from God in heaven to fulfill God's plan to sustain his people with eternal life. When Jesus says he is the bread of life, he is the one who will provide true fill from hunger, spiritual hunger. He is the one who will sustain people, not solely through having their tummies filled. Think about the, the Lord's Prayer. Um, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Give us this day. Give us bread this day. And that's essentially what he's saying. is like, Lord, we need you. We need you, not just to have our physical needs met, which, you know, Jesus does provide those things. God does provide those things, but he uses us to show himself. And so this is the first I am statement. The second statement, I am the light of the world. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is from John eight twelve. And so to give some context, Jesus spoke these words um, in the treasury of the temple where people put their offerings in the temple. The woman who was brought to Jesus by the Pharisees um, just verses before may have brought her. It was in the forecourt of the temple, part of the court of women. The widow's offering, um, as mentioned in Mark 1241, may have been put in this very place. This is important because it's from this context that Jesus says that he is the light of the world. So the Pharisees make a statement that Jesus' testimony was not true. But Jesus knows where he is from and where he is going, making his testimony true. He continues to tell the Jews that he is not of this world. And where he is going, they cannot come. He tells them that he is from above, not from below. He shares that unless they believe that he is the light of the world, they will die in their sin. They will die in their darkness. And so Matthew Henry has this to say in his concise commentary on the Bible. Matthew Henry is a 
um, a 16th century um, pastor that lived in England. And so this is what he said. Christ is the light of the world. God is light, and Christ is the image of the invisible God. One sun enlightens the whole world, so does one Christ, and there needs no more. What a dark dungeon would the world be without the sun? Ain't that true? So would it be without Jesus, by whom light came into the world. Those who follow Christ shall not walk in darkness. They shall not be left without the truths which are necessary to keep them from destroying error in directions in the way of duty, necessary to keep them from condemning sin. When Jesus says he is the light of the world, he is the one who will expose darkness in his marvelous light. He is the one who will illuminate the person of, um, who places, um, I'm sorry, he is the one who will illuminate the life of a person who places their faith and trust in him and repents from the darkness of their life by trusting in the light for the forgiveness of sin. Otherwise, they will die in their sin. He calls people to follow the true light. This is the second I am statement. And so the third I am statement is, I am the door of the sheep. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. This is from John ten seven through 9. We see another truly, truly saying in this passage. The context of this passage is that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees after the, mind, after the man who was blind and was made to see, he had made a profession of faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And this takes place in John 9. The Pharisees had asked Jesus if they were also blind. <laughs> and Jesus had said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. He continues this discourse with them to show him that he is Israel's Messiah. He decides to use imagery that would be familiar to their ears. He decides to, sh decides to share this idea using a parable. So, the door refers to a gate of a sheepfold. It's helpful to know what a sheepfold is. A sheepfold is simply a pen for sheep. Have any of you ever seen the movie Babe? It's a movie about a pig named Babe who became a sheepdog for a shepherd. There are a few times when Babe hangs out with the sh at the sheep pen with Ma. <laughs> That's all I can remember from that movie. Ma. Anyways, so that is a sheepfold, a dwelling place for sheep. In those days, according to the ESB Study Bible Commentary, the sheepfold was commonly a courtyard near or beside a house and bordered by a stone wall in which one or several families kept their sheep, although caves and other natural formations were also used. Such sheepfolds may or may, may not have a formal door and would be guarded at the entrance by a gatekeeper who would be hired to stand watch or by the shepherd himself. And so thieves and robbers in those days would steal sheep that are not theirs. That's why people back then hired gatekeepers to protect the sheepfold and the sheep. Only the shepherd can get into the sheepfold by the door. The gatekeeper only opens that sheep pen to the shepherd. The thieves and robbers Jesus is referring to could be the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Israel's leaders. 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees placed burdens on the Jews that are on top of what the law had already stated. This is the Old Testament law. Jesus says that the sheep did not listen to the thieves and robbers because they know who their shepherd is, which I will discuss in the next I Am statement. Sheepfolds had one door that the shepherd entered to get into his sheep. Jesus is essentially claiming to be the door to the sheepfold. He is stating that he is the only way to be in the, in the right relationship with God and to become part of the people of God. That is the church, or you could say the flock. What Jesus is saying is that a pers- if a person places their faith and trust in him alone, they will be saved. Jesus himself states that whoever enters through him will be saved. Not only will they be saved, but they will enjoy a covenant with him. They will be blessed with eternal life. They will find pasture. In Christ alone, a person is redeemed for God. Jesus does not only say this I am, st- I am the door once in this discourse. He actually says it twice. And so this is the third I am statement. The fourth I am statement is I am the good shepherd, which it says in John ten eleven. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This I am statement is found within the same context as the I am the door statement. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd of the sheepfold. He is the one that provides pasture for the sheep. He is the one who is able to provide life abundantly, even though the thieves and the robbers want to steal, kill, and destroy. Remember, in this context, the thieves and the robbers are the Pharisees and Sadducees. I can't talk today. Or you could say Israel's shepherds. Jesus is different from Israel's leaders and teachers. Um, Here's what it says about Jesus from the prophet Isaiah. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. That means his side. And gently lead those that are with young. Isaiah 40.11 Because Israel's leaders have led the Jews astray by placing burdens on them, they were not able to find pasture. Jesus came so that they can have life and have it abundantly. In Him. In order for Jesus to give this abundant life, He was willing to lay His life down for the sheep to rescue them from harm. This means that Jesus was willing to die to save people from their sins so that they do not have to endure the wrath of God in hell because of their sins. He did that out of His great love for the sheep because He cares for the sheep. Just like the I am the door statement, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd twice in this passage, emphasizing that He is only the only good shepherd. He knows His own and His own know Him. Own, know him. Those who trust Jesus as the good shepherd will be taken care of, even though life will be hard. Jesus is the caretaker or the shepherd of souls. And so to help the Jews understand who Jesus is, and in this reality, here's what it says in Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16, which is uh, my friend Kenna's favorite passage in the scripture. Shout out to you, Kenna. And Jake McDowell. (laughs) All right, back to this passage. Um, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. 
As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from the places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the rabbins and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There, there they, will, they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will back bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Jesus did not only want to include Jews in his sheepfold, but others as well, like the Gentiles. That means us. As one flock under his care, and he wants to be their good shepherd. This is the fourth I am statement. The fifth I am statement is I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said to her, who is her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is John eleven twenty five. And so the context of this I am statement is that Jesus is a, um, he's friends with a family consisting of two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Both Mary and Martha live in a village called Bethany, which is roughly half a mile east of Jerusalem on the eastern slope of the mountain Olives. And so Lazarus was sick. Um, so Mary and Martha report this to Jesus. Jesus hears about it and responds in John eleven four. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. But if you've read the story, Lazarus ends up dying. And then Jesus stays two days longer where he is, where he allowed Mary and Martha, whom he loved, by the way, to go through the sorrow and hardship of losing their brother. And so Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to Judea again. And he tells his disciples that Lazarus has died and tells them that for their sake he was glad he was not present when Lazarus died, so that they may believe who he is based on what he's about to do. And so they come to Bethany, and they notice that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Martha shares with Jesus, saying that if he were there, her brother would not have died, but has faith that Jesus would be able to do something. And so he comforts her that Lazarus will rise again. Martha thinks that Lazarus will rise on the last day, which is true. But she doesn't know that Jesus is doing something profound to show it that he is the promised Messiah. From here, he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He then asks her, Martha, do you believe this? And Martha responds, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha understands who Jesus is. Martha understands that even though someone who belongs to Jesus may die physically, they are alive spiritually because they believe in the one who places their faith and trust, in the one who has resurrected and have come back to life. 
According to the ESB Bible Commentary, resurrection from the dead and genuine eternal life and fellowship with God are so closely tied to Jesus that they embodied in Him and can be found only in relationship with Him. Therefore, believes in me implies personal trust in Christ. In the Faith Life Study Bible Commentary, it says something similar, which says, Jesus declared that He is the source and power that will enable the resurrection of the dead on the day of judgment when God's people will rise in glorified bodies to be one with Him. The person who chooses to believe in Jesus will be resurrected on the last day. If you know how this account ends, Jesus weeps with Mary and Martha and goes with them to see where Lazarus was laid to rest. Jesus was moved so deeply and went to the tomb. From there, he noticed that Lazarus was dead, dead. I mean, the Bible goes to say that he that there was an odor if he would have opened the tomb. So he was dead. Brother was dead. He stinketh, is how the King James puts it. <laughs> but he makes a statement by prayer before performing a miracle to show that he is the Messiah. He says to the Father in John eleven forty one, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. We'll be back after a brief break. Hey, what's up, everyone? We really appreciate you listening to episodes here on Tethered. If you've been impacted in any way by these episodes, please subscribe to the podcast to keep up to date on when episodes drop. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, will you please consider rating this podcast in your favorite podcasting app? Please leave us a comment. Finally, Please share this podcast with your friends and family on social media or however you share things. We would really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Tethered. Now back to the episode. I knew that you always hear me. Or I know that you always hear me. But I, say, but I said this on the account of the people standing around me. That they believe that you sent me. And so, this is not in my notes, but I listened to an episode of my friend Bert's story, and he actually quoted from this uh, verse, and this is kind of like a side tangent, but it's helpful for us to know. Like, Jesus has this constant connection to God. He's tethered to him. And he says that, I know that you always hear me. Yet for the sake of these, for the people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. And so think on that as you, you know, as you hear these I am statements. Like eat, like this miracle that's about to occur, it was to show those around him that he is the one that was sent by God. Anyways, from there, um, back to our passage. With a loud voice, he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out of the tomb. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus' own death and resurrection. He did this to show that he is the one that God sent. He also did this to show that on the second coming of Christ, those who died physically are alive spiritually if they are in Christ, and one day their bodies will resurrect like Lazarus' Lazarus's body did. And this is the fifth I am statement. And so... The sixth I am statement is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus said to him, 
um, Thomas. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is John 14, 6. So Jesus is making an exceptional claim to this I am statement. He is saying that he is the only exclusive way to the creator of all things. Man, this is bold. This is bold, bro. Jesus is saying in this context that what theologians refer to as the farewell discourse. This is the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples during the Passover supper. Before Jesus makes the bold claim that he is the exclusive way to the creator of all things, he gives the disciples a new commitment to love one another as he has loved them. He says this after he tells them that he is going away and where he is going, they cannot come. Based off how the disciples love one another, all people will know that they are truly are his disciples. After this, Peter asks um, where Jesus is going. Jesus responds in John thirteen thirty six, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Of course, <laughs> Peter's not fully understanding. Peter. <laughs> Peter cracks me up. Um, we can be like that sometimes too, though. Peter, of course, being a strong-willed, brash person, responds, Lord, why, why can't I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And uh, Jesus goes on to predict that Peter will deny Jesus three times, which it happens. But um, this is the context of which is, uh, he's getting ready to make this bold claim. And so Jesus begins from there to explain where he is going using the metaphor of a house. He says that he's going to his father's house and there are many rooms, which refers to heaven. He is going to prepare a place for the disciples. He promises to come again and take them himself to this place where they will be with him forever. Jesus tells the disciples they know the way to where he is going, being heaven. So Thomas, one of the disciples, tells Jesus that they don't know where they are going, but humbly ask how to know the way. This is where Jesus makes this exclusive I am statement at this point. He is the way to the Father's house where there are many rooms being prepared for them. Jesus is the only way to eternal life with God forever in a place called heaven. But it's so much more than that. Jesus is the only way to be made right before a holy God. And so here's what the Matthew Henry uh, commentary again um, referencing this. This is what he says regarding this I am statement. Here are three words upon any of which stress may be laid. Upon the word troubled, do not be cast down and disquieted. The word heart, let your heart be kept with full trust in God. The word your, however, others are overwhelmed with the sorrows at this present time. Be not you so. Christ's disciples, more than others, should be should keep their minds quiet when everything else is unquiet. Here's the remedy against this trouble of mind. Believe. By believing in Christ as the mediator between God and man, we gain comfort. The happiness of heaven is spoken of as in a father's house. There are many mansions, for there are many sons to be brought to glory. Mansions are the lasting dwellings. Christ will be the finisher of that of which is the author or beginner. If he have prepared the place for us, he will prepare it for us. Christ is the sinner's way to the Father and to heaven. In his person as God manifests in the flesh, his, in his atoning sacrifice. 
and as their advocate. He is the truth as fulfilling all the prophecies of the Savior. Believing which, sinners come to Him by the way. He is the life by whose life-giving spirit the dead and sinner quickened. Nor can any man draw nigh God as a father who is not quickened by him as the life and was taught by him as the truth to come to him as the way. By Christ as the way, our prayers go to God and his blessings come to us. This is the way that leads to rest, the good old way. He is the resurrection and the life. All that Christ saw by faith saw the father in him. In the light of Christ's doctrine, they saw God as the Father of light, and in Christ's miracles, they saw God as the God of power. The holiness of God shone in the spotless purity of Christ's life. We are to believe that the revelation of God to man in Christ, for the works of the Redeemer show forth in His own glory in God and Him. So, what Henry is saying here is that Jesus is the only way to redemption. He Himself is the Redeemer. He is the one who made the way to life possible through His atonement on the cross. All Jesus calls people to do is to believe that He's the exclusive way, the exclusive truth, and the life. That no one gets to God, the creator of all things, but by Him alone. There are no exceptions. And that is the sixth I am statement. And so here is the final and seventh I am statement. And so, I am the true vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is John 15, um, 1, and then John 15, 5. This statement is also said in the farewell discourse, going back to our context. Jesus and his disciples are leaving the upper room where the, sup the supper was had, and they are making their way to the Kidron Valley and arriving to the Garden of Gethsemane. So it makes sense that in this I am statement um, is mentioned in this context. Think about where they're going. There's a lot of trees there. Jesus is using this allegory of a vine to explain who he is. And so here's what the ESV Study Bible Commentary says about this. Jesus' allegory of the vine and the branches is at the very heart of the farewell discourse. The Old Testament frequently uses the vineyard or vine, or vine, my apologies, as a symbol for Israel. God's covenant people, especially in two vineyard songs in the book of Isaiah, which are Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, and Isaiah 27, 2 through 6. However, Israel's failure to produce fruit resulted in divine judgment. Jesus, by contrast, is the true vine, and his followers abide in him and produce fruit. The word true contrasts Jesus with the Old Testament Israel, reinforcing John's theme that Jesus is the true Israel. The vine dresser refers back to Isaiah's first vineyard song, which God is depicted as tending his vineyard, only to be rewarded with wild grapes. The fruitfulness of those in Christ contrasts with the fruitfulness of Israel. And so essentially, Israel had failed to bear the fruit they were called to bear as a result of being tethered to Yahweh. They failed to keep the law perfectly. They have forsaken Yahweh over and over again. But they still have hope in the Messiah. Jesus was the true Israel. 
who was able to perfectly abide or stay tethered to the Father. Because Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly, now Jesus is the true vine. And he calls, and all he calls is for one to place their faith and trust in the true vine. And so you might have remembered the episode, Just Abide. Um, I had a conversation with one of my uh, best friends, Alfredo, about abiding in Jesus, the true vine. And this is why it's so important. Um, the ESB Study Bible Commentary puts it this way. Abiding in Christ means to continue in a daily personal relationship with Jesus, characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. If you have a saving relationship with Jesus, He abides in you. Jesus is the only way to truly have life, because if you, if you abide in Him, you will bear fruit. This means fruit that produces as a result of having complete allegiance, devotion, and enamorment towards Jesus which you can read the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Without an abiding relationship with Jesus, you can do nothing. Jesus himself makes this absolutely clear. Again, the ESB Study Bible puts it this way, Apart from me, you can do nothing does not mean nothing at all, for unbelievers carry on their ordinary lives apart from Christ, or ordinary activities of life apart from Christ. Rather, it means nothing of eternal value or an inability to produce spiritual fruit, meaning producing fruit for oneself. This I am statement Jesus is, makes is saying, you cannot live your life independent from him because he created you. He knitted you in your mother's womb. He knows you by name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. You must stay tethered to him or abide in him or connected to him. And he offers the ability for you to connect to be connected to him because of what he's done. He is sharing this with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane because he is about to be crucified for the sins of the world. He is going away and Jesus calls him to love another, one another, to sh in, in order to show how Jesus is like to a watching world. This is why Jesus says to them to abide in him, the true vine. And this um, I am statement is, um, I've, I've mentioned it before on this podcast, but this is the verse that actually inspired me to name this podcast Tethered because I want to show you, dear listener, what it means to abide in Christ in a variety of areas of life. And so hopefully this, you know, episode encourages you to understand who Jesus is truly um, in order for you to understand why it's important to abide in him because he's God. And so, but yeah, that, that, this is the final I am statement in the gospel of John. Woo, let's take a breather. Uh, we can get off this theological roller coaster now. <laughs> that was a lot. Um, but, it was, but it was helpful to know why Jesus made such claims to who he is, because it's easy for people to frame Jesus in their own way. When scripture makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is God, the promised Messiah of Israel, and the creator and sustainer of all things. There are other I am statements that Jesus makes in other books of the New Testament. For the sake of time, I'm not going to dive deep into each one like I did with the seven that I just listed. But I'll, I'll probably dig into them in the future episode if you guys want me to. Um, and so, let me read to you what those other I am statements are. Um, this is just based off what I've, when I did my research for this pod, uh, for this episode, this is what I found. Okay, it is I. That's the first one. We see this in John six twenty. Now, this is not 
the word I am, but it's a different, like, derivation of I am, if that makes sense. And so Jesus says this to the disciples as he is walking on water coming near to their boat. And they were frightened, and Jesus says this to comfort them and to not fear him. I am he is the next one. We see this in John 18, 5, 6. The guards arresting Jesus ask him if he is Jesus of Nazareth. He responds, I am he, and they draw back and fall to the ground. Imagine that. <laughs> imagine, if, if, imagine if you were the one arresting Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and you heard, I am he, and you just fall back, like just like that. Oh, man, that is something else. Um, I would encourage you to study that passage sometime. I think it's important to understand that. Okay, the next one. I am gentle and lowly in heart. We see this in Matthew eleven twenty nine. It's part of an invitation that Jesus makes to those who are weary and heavy laden to know him personally. So Dane Ortland, he, uh, he wrote a book on this subject called Gentle and Lowly. I'll include a link on the show notes to this book. Um, I read it last year, and it was an awe-inspired book. A lot of people that I know are reading it. Um, I've seen some <laughs> posted on their Instagram. Grace Ball, shout out to you. Same thing with Akko. <laughs> and uh, wait, no, it was Stephen who was listening, who's reading that. Stephen, shout out to you because you're reading the book. Anyways, um, it helped me see Jesus in a new way. I definitely recommend this uh, book for anyone. Um, it's a wonderful book. All right, the next one. I am with you always to the very end of the age. We see this in Matthew 28, 20. This is part of the Great Commission, which Jesus says to his disciples that he will be with him when they go make disciples for themselves to all people groups. And he's with him in general too. The next one, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. So we see this in Acts chapter 9 verse 5. Jesus says this to Paul as he is on the road to Damascus to arrest Christians. Paul has a divine encounter with Jesus. And Jesus tells Paul that he is persecuting him as a result of persecuting his people. The next one we see is, I am making all things new. And so we see this in Revelation 21.5. God, who is seated in, in the throne, says this out loud in the context of promises that, um, that he will dwell with his people forever wiping away every tear from their eyes, promising no more death, mourning, crying, and pain. The former things will pass away, reversing the curse of sin. The next one we see here is, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. We see this in Revelation twenty-two thirteen. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. The ESB Study Bible says this about this passage. The Lord stands beyond the universe's beginning and its end as sovereign creator and consummator, the first and last. He is everything. One of you guys said that uh, when I asked you on Instagram, in my personal Instagram, about who Jesus is, and he's everything. You're right. He is divinely eternal. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. That's the next one. And we see this in Revelation twenty-two sixteen. Jesus is the promised descendant of David, a king, showcasing Jesus' royalty as divine king. The bright morning star is referring to a prophecy made by a pagan seer named Balaam from the book of Numbers. 
that a ruler would arise from Israel to conquer the nations. And so if you don't know who Balaam is, um, he's the one that the donkey spoke to. <laughs> Read more about Balaam <laughs> in your own time. But um, but yeah, Numbers twenty four seventeen is where that prophecy is mentioned. I would encourage you to go study this passage because think about it. It's a pagan seer that's making this prophecy, which is really interesting. And then... The last one is, I am coming soon. We see this in Revelation 22.20. Jesus is coming back to claim his people. He makes sure of this as stated in the context of the verse. No one knows that they are the hour of his second coming, but he invites people to follow him today. Both redemption and judgment are coming. As we get ready to conclude, let's go back to Mark 8.28. Jesus asked his disciples who they say he is. We learn that Jesus is the bread of life, the light of the world, the door of the sheepfold, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, the true vine, and so much more. Peter responded that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. But Jesus told Peter and the disciples to tell no one about him. The reason why is because the disciples had a misunderstanding of who he truly was while they were walking with him before his crucifixion. They thought Jesus was, as the ESB Study Bible Commentary puts it, the divinely anointed leader and Messiah who they expected will liberate the Jewish people from the oppressive yoke of Rome. So Peter's confession was incomplete. God had given Peter that revelation of who Jesus truly was. He had no idea that Jesus was divine and destined to suffer. After Peter's confession, Jesus himself begins to teach that he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, Jewish leaders, and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This is in Mark 8.31. Jesus said this candidly to his disciples. Why did Jesus have to be killed by the Jews? I'm sure that The disciples were perplexed about this. The Messiah must die? The one who's going to liberate us from Rome? What? But Jesus, he had to die because our sin was that bad. Jesus himself was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We were created by God to live in harmony with Him. But sin entered the world. Our harmonious relationship with God was severed because of sin. No amount of religious duties, law-keeping, attempts to please God on our own effort can ever save us. We are doomed eternally because of our sin. We deserve to be separated from God forever. We are dead spiritually. We are deserving of God's wrath because of our sins. We are deserving of hell. But there is good news. God, who was rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together in Christ. Ephesians 2.5 says this. Guys, Jesus, Yahweh, the great I Am, Himself in the flesh, for our sake became sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21.
Check this out. Jesus, the great I am, lived the sinless, perfect life we could never live on our behalf. Jesus, the great I am, willingly laid down his life by willingly enduring the cross by being beaten, mocked, scorned, and crucified on our behalf to die the death that we deserve, taken on God's wrath on our behalf. He died brutally and horrifically. He was buried. Jesus, the great I am, resurrected as he told Martha that he is the resurrection and the life. He rose three days later from the tomb that he was buried in. Jesus, the great I am, triumphed over sin, defeating death and Satan to show that he was the promised Messiah of the Jews and the promised Savior of the world. Jesus, the great I am himself, wants to invite you, dear listener, to follow him if you don't follow him. Even though it may cost you much in order to experience him, the bread of life, the sustainer of our souls, if we repent of our sin and continue to repent of our sin, because if we confess that he is Lord, believing that he alone can save, receiving his grace alone by faith alone in Christ alone, so that we can inherit eternal life in the promise of being forever with him. This is who Jesus is. Dear listener, if you follow Jesus, may this remind you of who you are and who you used to be. Remind yourself of the gospel. This is the great I am. This is why Jesus had to be killed. So that people can be made right before a holy God. There's nothing that needs to be done in order to receive this gift. There's nothing that can be done to earn right standing before God. Jesus, the great I am himself, is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to God except through Jesus. This is the gospel. The good news. Peter made a confession that, the, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. He would go on to fully understand who Jesus was, and he was a pioneer in the early church. He would die for Jesus by being crucified upside down. The other disciples, except Judas Iscariot, were able to spread the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere in the Mediterranean world as they came to understand who Jesus truly was. The great I am, Yahweh himself, the son of God, the creator of all things. That's who they got to walk alongside with. It wasn't the person that was going to liberate them from slavery to Rome. It was the one who was going to liberate them from slavery to sin. It was promised all along in the Old Testament. Back to what I... How I began this episode. Sorry, I'm just... <laughs> this, is, this is so amazing what God has done for us. The great I am became a man and did this to show us how much he loves us. Just think on that for a minute. Back to I, how I began this episode. We all want to be like the person who influenced us and we all have that person that we aspire to be like. We all desire to emulate the person that we see as a major inspiration. Let me ask you this, dear listener. Who do you say Jesus is? 
Do you allow what others say about who Jesus is to reign true in your life? Do you know, only know um, facts about who Jesus is, or do you truly know who he says he is? Do you desire to be influenced by who Jesus is? Do you aspire to be like Christ? It's easy to know all the facts about Jesus. If you grew up in the church, you know what that's like. You know about Jesus, but you may have not known him. The responses I got from my followers on my personal Instagram personally say who Jesus is to them. What about you, dear listener? Jesus wants to know you. He wants you to know him. The question is, will you get to know him? Hopefully this episode, through this episode, as long as it was, was an encouragement to help you see who Jesus truly is as revealed according to the scripture alone in order for you to enjoy God and give, and give glory to him alone forever. Will you allow yourself to come to the vine, the true vine, and stay tethered to him moment by moment, day by day? Jesus is the great I am. Do you believe these words from New Life Worship Band? I want to be close, close to your side. I don't know if that's how it actually goes. <laughs> so heaven is real and death is a lie. I want to hear voices of angels above. Singing as one, hallelujah, holy, holy, God almighty, the great I am, who is worthy, none beside thee, God almighty, the great I am. This is the second time I've ever sung on this podcast. <laughs> Forgive me for my horrible singing, but, and I know I didn't start the song right in the beginning, but, but you get the point. I want to be close, close to your side. So heaven is real and death is a lie. I want to hear voices of angels above singing as one. Hallelujah. Holy, holy. God almighty. Great I am. Who is worthy? None beside thee. God almighty. Great I am. There's a lot that could be written about Jesus. But as the end of the Gospel of John says, the world cannot contain the books that we've written about who Jesus is. The same thing goes for podcasts, films, classes. There could not be enough of those to show who Jesus is and what he has done. Jesus is the great I am. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the listener who may be listening to this, who may be asking themselves, who is Jesus? And I hope as a result of this episode that they would cling to Jesus as the great I am. He is you, God, Yahweh. And I pray and hope that they would stay tethered to the great I am. Lord, thank you again for just being faithful. Thank you for making us righteous before a holy God. And I pray that your will would continue to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give us this day our daily bread from the bread of life, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in your son's name. 
Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Tethered, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Tethered. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Please also tap the subscribe button to receive notifications when new episodes are published. You can also follow Tethered on Instagram by clicking on the link in the episode notes. Hope this episode has encouraged you, built you up, and blessed you. To God be the glory. See you next time. God bless.